and welcome to episode 66 of Roll, Play, Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Ventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands in the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Today is the day, my friends. It is the Kickstarter launch day for the game that I have been project managing for a year now, Burn Away. I will spare you the explanation of the game right in this moment because you're going to hear all about it in this episode. We are talking with Jordi Morse, aka Nagi, the game designer behind it all. Make sure you go to Kickstarter and look for Burn Away, all one word, or check out the show notes below for a direct link. You know, Today's episode was really fun, and I know I say that like basically every time, but this one was unique because usually when I interview folks, I'm familiar with their work, it's part of their research, but as a complete outsider. Today, though, got to be more of a conversation than usual as it was a time for Nagi and me to look back over the last year together and talk about not only how we got into game design and what spurred the decision to launch a Kickstarter, but how we two noobs to the Kickstarter scene have stumbled our way through getting ready for a launch. And while I obviously hope that we not only fund, but smash through all of our stretch goals, which I have to say are really cool stretch goals, please, please help us get there. I gotta say that no matter what happens, I've worked with some really awesome folks and just learned a ton along the way. Nagi's a really great guy who has developed a really cool game. Ghostbusters meets Firefighters. And this is a pretty fun chat about game design and the Kickstarter pre-launch process. Enjoy it. If this is your first time tuning into Roleplay Grow, welcome. This podcast is a part of Lighthearted Ventures, which is a small company I co-founded with my husband. We also do blogs, one-shots, and maps that you'll find over on our website, lightheartadventures.com. The show allows me to chat with so many amazing folks across a wide spectrum of industries within the TTRPG scene, so be sure to subscribe to Roleplay Grow on your favorite podcast player. Last week, you'll know that I did a shout out for my favorite tea business, Friday Afternoon, and I mentioned that they've been having some business struggles lately. They just had a really rough year last year and put out a call for help. I did just see a tweet that orders are coming in and they're past the worst of the hurdle, but please continue to show your support for this amazing nerdy business that makes the best tea. The shop is owned by a wonderful human that I interviewed back in episode six. They could really use your orders for tea gift cards, their monthly book club that has tea pairings, or if you're in the Seattle area, they also offer custom blending sessions. We are affiliates with them, so if you go to FridayTea.com and use the code LIGHTHEARTADV, you'll get 10% off your order, help a wonderful business, and enjoy some delicious nerdy tea. Thanks for hanging out, y'all, and enjoy this chat with Nagi. Hello, friends. I am here with Jordi Morse, aka Nagi, the founder of Arna Mantle and the game designer behind Burnaway. Jordi, how are you? I'm good. Hey, thank you for having me here. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to make it work. We are recording just a couple of weeks before Burnaway launches. However, the day that you are listening to this, lovely listeners, is uh, actually launch day for Burnaway. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, This is like super fun because I have been working with you for 
a year now. Yep. <laughs> yep. But now we have to pretend like we don't know that each other that well. So <laughs> <laughs> let's start off with, please tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into gaming. I first got into gaming when I was about 12 years old. And I first went to like my LGS, my local game store in my pretty small town. And I remember being feeling very grown up because there was a sign in the door that said kids under 13 had to be accompanied with an adult, but the owner knew that we were the cool kids. So he let us 12 year olds in there. Very exciting. (laughs) But yeah, no, I remember, I remember picking up the player's handbook 3.5 that had just come out. And I was with a bunch of my friends from some that I had just met and became very longtime friends, some that I'd already known for a while. And you know, that was kind of the starting point of like a years long Dungeons and Dragons game that sort of turned into a bunch of other systems. And just from there, that was like the bottom of the expanding cone of TTRPG experiences. So I would say that I have been a player and a fan for, it's hard to calculate on the fly with my age, but like, I would say at this point, 15 plus years. How long did it take you to broach into games outside of D&D? It's a good question. Definitely a few years. And, you know, this was back kind of back when the the indie scene was very different than how it is today. You know, we've got a really flourishing indie scene right now. But back in the, you know, I want to say like early 2000s, there were kind of limited games that people even knew about that weren't D&D. we sort of played a little bit of like White Wolf World of Darkness. We played um, some Hackmaster for, for a while, which was kind of funny because we hadn't actually played like First Ed or AD&D, which is like what Hackmaster is parroting. We just sort of jumped into it and just try to play it like kind of straightforward, which was an interesting experience. And then eventually we started playing Savage Worlds. And like on and off, we played some actual kind of indie stuff rather than just like D and D alternatives. But yeah, it took a it took a little while to get to get out of the the D and D zone. I mean, that's that's fair. But also, like, I feel a lot of people that finally venture out of D and D play like one other game, and you've just yeah yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no, I, I don't play D and D. I actually just play this one other game with my friends for for years on that. It's it's fine. It's fine. We branch out. Yeah yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What are you playing these days? Boy, I wish I was playing more these days. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing a lot of designing these days. But let's see. I the most recent thing that I played was a housemate is actually working on his own original system that's based around like flipping cards from a deck of cards. And he's been really into like fine tuning that whole system, which has been pretty cool. And before that, he was running a campaign that used the, I think, the Fate system, Fate Core. I'm not entirely sure what it's called, but something like that. And I've been playing a couple of indie TTRPGs, specifically a couple by um, Momatos, who has created a couple of really cool smaller RPGs and actually done a little bit of playtesting for her because I'm part of uh, her Discord community, and that's been a lot of fun. I want to know when the transition happened from playing all of these games to designing. There was almost no transition, actually. Um, (laughs) 
I first started writing thoughts down and doing stuff when basically I was like, huh, D&D 3.5 is really complicated and there's things that I don't like about it. I want to change it. So that was like almost kind of as soon as I started playing it. And I think that's like a, a pretty common point of departure for a lot of people is where they play D&D and they're like, I don't like this thing about D&D. I'm going to, I'm going to make my own, you know, <laughs> going to make my own game. I'm going to make my own splat, whatever. So yeah, it was one of my kind of like my, I guess you'd call it SRD at this point, like core systems that I have been working on that the very basic mechanics of Burnaway are based on has, I've like redeveloped it like from the ground up like eight or nine times at this point, spanning for like over a decade. My experience with TTRPGs like fundamentally includes designing them. Like they're really hasn't been a time when I've just been playing them or running them. That's fun because I actually wanted to dig into the fact that like I know you've been working on this system for so long. I didn't realize it had been for a decade. On and off as well, but like yeah, no, it's it's the the first iteration of the system looked almost totally different than what we see now. And but I, I was literally running a version of the system for some friends in college. Uh <laughs> And like each time I would, I I basically had this cycle of, I would, you know, spend a few months manically developing it. I would get to the point of like playtesting it and then I would see all the flaws and then I would kind of just like put it away for, you know, a few months, maybe even a year. And then something would kind of cause the itch, the spark to come back. And then I would come back to it and be like, oh, what's all this crap? And I would just like basically (laughs) rebuild 95% of it, keeping like the few things that I I really liked. So in some ways, it's just been this iterative process of just like slowly tearing everything down, rebuilding it, tearing everything down, rebuilding it, which is, I think, a pretty strong way to do a creative project as long as you have years of time to work on it. (laughs) (laughs) And for the sake of our listeners, what is the name of the system? It has also gone through a bunch of different names, but the current working name, which might not be the final name, of course, is um, the Sherzad system. Sherzad being one of the names for Scheherazade, the 1001 Nights. Honestly, I'm just flabbergasted. Like, oh, I just read that story. Oh my God, that makes that so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Okay. See, I'm learning new things already. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, I would love to know, like, at its core, if you could just give us a little description of what this system is, and then we'll probably transition into talking about Burnaway and how that's changed. The way I talk about the system, I think, has also changed because the whole TTRPG community, the industry, has changed a lot since I first started writing it. The very first time I conceptualized it, there were fewer people who were like doing the same kind of thing where they're just like, I'm just going to make my own system totally from scratch. And then I'm going to try and do something with it, publish it. Like, obviously there were a lot of people, but there's way more now to the point where it's like, it's not exactly like a, a new or crazy thing to be doing anymore. In its current iteration, what is the Sherzad system? It's sort of based around a few focal points in that, like I want it to be, accessible to run. And obviously, accessibility is a big word that encompasses a whole bunch of different things. And I'm still in the process of learning how I can make my games be more accessible to a wider variety of people. But I think one of the things that I've always been really 
big on is that I personally think that in terms of like costing a lot of money, like I think that if people who don't have a lot of money to spend on games should have options, you know, not just having to buy, obviously, you know, the three big D&D books that they want to play D&D, but also just, you know, I mean, most games, you know, cost some amount of money. And then, of course, you know, the dice and the and, you know, all the accoutrements if you want to if you want to get those things. Obviously, you don't have to buy those things. And there's a lot of great people who will offer community copies for their games. But I really just wanted to, when I was starting to make this, create a game that was going to be the the SRD, you know, the, the core game was going to be totally free. You can do whatever you want with it. And one of the things is that this system allows you to use any dice you want because it is a success-based system where basically whenever you roll your dice, evens are successes and odds are hits. And then you kind of expand on the dice system from there in many different ways. But at its core, it basically literally allows you to use any dice you want that has an even number of sides. I'm not sure you can actually have a dice that has an odd number of sides, but I'm not that good at geometry. So like maybe there is a way. But, you know, you literally play the game with a bunch of coins for your pocket. That was one of the key points that I really wanted to focus on was like, no matter how the system expands or no matter how complicated another designer wants to make it and build upon it, I want the core of it to be simple and accessible. And that's something that I personally really liked as I started to help with playtesting Burnaway was the fact that it really didn't matter what dice I was using. Like, I could just pick whatever pretty dice I wanted to use. Exactly. The, the, literally, I think one of like the the core tenets that I wrote is that like people like dice. You know, <laughs> it's just people have their own favorite dice. Some people love picking out a set of dice for their specific character. Some people just have their favorite dice they've been using for years that they want to, you know, roll for it. So like, I wanted to write a system that would accommodate all those different kinds of you know approaches. And also, like, literally, you know, the approach of, like, I don't have dice. I'm going to steal some dice from the Monopoly game in the attic. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. So now that we've got a little bit of a basis for the system, let's talk about Burn Away. Mm. So just to start off, what is Burn Away? Boy. (laughs) Burn Away is a TTRPG that is a single setting, and the idea is that in a indistinct near future time period, we're still sort of in the same world that we are now, but like a little bit grittier, a little bit darker, a little bit more complex. I didn't want to say full cyberpunk, but like kind of like approaching cyberpunk. But basically, the it's centered around um, the players as a group of kind of mercenary contractors who get called in to deal with usually like fires that are happening in houses and buildings and other structures, except these are not regular fires. They are started by these spirits called embergeists who are basically like emotional echoes of people who have died with some sort of grudge or unfulfilled desires. And it's kind of like what you would think of as a spirit or a ghost, except that they're on fire all the time, and that fire is causing a bigger fire. So basically, the core of the game is having the players try to work together and try to figure out how they're going to deal 
with the requirements that are given to them by their contracted company, by the client, quote unquote, who has hired their company to come in the first place and deal with it. Because, you know, they're not the municipal firefighters. Those guys are waiting outside for you to deal with this, you know, fire spirit that is definitely not on their payroll to be dealing with. So basically, you are the ones who have to eliminate the Embergeist. You are the ones who have to extract things that are maybe like people or maybe they are information or resources that the client cares about. And sometimes there's going to be hard decisions to make because maybe the client is paying you to extract their files, but you see this person that's there, but they're like, I don't care about them. So are you going to decide, oh man, do I want to get paid today? Do I want to eat? Or do I want to, you know, do the morally right thing and, and save a person? And obviously that's a pretty black and white argument. But the idea is that you can go into kind of, you know, more shades of gray in terms of the decisions you have to make and also in terms of the kind of characters that you can build when you're going to be kind of involving in this kind of world. Yeah. And I honestly feel like I have to give an example from the group that I was playtesting with where I had one person was very much a, I am here to save every person I can possibly save and like screw any other objective. You had another person that could not give like two shits about another person and only was there for the (laughs) money. And in fact, would try to steal any valuable goods he could find along the way. And then you had somebody in the middle. I'm like, I mean, no, I'm not going to let a person burn, but also like, no, the mission's important. I need my money. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that's that, that That sounds like a great party to like send into a mission. Yeah. Ah, there was so much conflict between them. It was glorious. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to happen. <laughs> yeah, it was great. How did the idea for this game come to be? That is a good question. I honestly can't identify like a specific point where I'm just like, ah, it's all coming together. <laughs> I think it just sort of was born out of a bunch of like, images and vibes in my head that kind of all slowly came together and at one point I was like really jazzed up on adrenaline or something like that and I was I was in like the the the, the maker space mode and I I just sort of cranked out the basic idea and the basic rules for like the you know the the first draft of it and obviously it's had a lot of fine tuning since then it's hard to say honestly when we first got on, one of our writers, D'Angelo, when we were first talking with him and I first explained the the concept, he was like, oh, so kind of like Fire Force. I'm like, yeah, kind of like Fire Force, that I don't actually like want to say it's just like Fire Force, which is an anime and manga where the characters fight fire demons as kind of like alternative firefighters. But it is different, I promise. This is not just, <laughs> this is not just th- that, but like... Actually, to be honest, it is not actually directly inspired by that. I, I think the Ember guys definitely had a bit of inspiration from that, but it is a little bit of a different setup from that series. I think a big aesthetic inspiration was Witch Hunter Robin, the anime, which very much inspired the kind of like aesthetic of the gear, the aesthetic of like kind of the the world, the near future, and kind of the core conceit of a team of professionals who have to go in and deal with this like creature or this, this situation where there is room for empathy and there's, and there's sort of room for 
potentially solving this this issue in a way that's not violent or you know a way that's not just like kill and get out and i i've always really liked that about the series and i think that was one of the things i really wanted to embody in a game as well yeah i mean i I find it just really interesting always to like learn what the initial inspirations were but then even just taking that and turning it into how this game has formed and i guess i want to know what the process was from you starting to think about this game, starting to develop this game, and then wanting to turn it into fully fleshed out, do a Kickstarter, and just go this whole route. I mean, this is obviously not the first game I have designed or developed, but it's the first game that I feel like has had this level of production put into it. And I think it was just like, I sort of looked at the games that I that were pretty near complete in my drawer, and I'm like, this one basically because i'm focusing on it right now but honestly like they you know aside from the shahrazad the, the the shahrazad system as as a separate identity which i mean i guess it's it's technically not the the most current version but actually like you know the free srd is is up on my website you can download it right now i made a zine rpg a few years ago called called stars fall up and i published that as a physical zine and sold that at like Aresia and a couple other like small, small indie conventions. And then I digitized it and that is up on my itch and the uh, drive through stores for Artemantle. But like I have literally dozens of other projects that are in stages of near complete or like honestly just about ready for playtesting. So I just, I just never was able to get over that hurdle of like, Let's actually like, you know, drop the cash. Let's actually get some people on this. Let's actually like do the whole stuff to make this happen for realsies, essentially. So this was kind of like my moment of crossing the fence and actually trying to make it happen. Well, since this is a show where I talk about processes and business decisions and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Honestly, I think it'd be kind of fun to just move an S a bit over what has happened over the last well, year that I've been involved, but obviously you were working on it for longer than that. <laughs> um, but especially just since we've been both figuring out how to do a Kickstarter project yeah. like this as we go. Uh, so let's start with when you decided that you wanted to go for it and make this into a Kickstarter, what were the first things that you did? Let's see. It was definitely one of those things where it's like the start and finish points are very clear. The start's where I am now, which is basically a pile of design notes and the the end point is like oh man successful kickstarter yay great yeah. you know the path in between was like very very muddy because <laughs> <laughs> you you were currently the project manager for this i'm trying to remember the where i was in the process when we ended up connecting and i ended up bringing you on board um, i'm trying to remember like how much what stuff i had already done before that it was not much i think it was basically just that i had what I considered to be like a workable playtest ready rule set. I'm trying to remember. I, I think you were the first person that I got on the team because I just kind of knew that there was like, I mean, my, my, my head is very much the design space. I, I like producing things. I like writing things. I like creating things, whether it be TTRPG projects or honestly, other parts of my life, I'm the overall logistics stuff I do not really have a lot of brain space for. So I realized pretty early on that I really 
needed somebody to come in and kind of be that part of the brain. So yeah, I think I think honestly like what I consider to be like kind of the the starting point of the official development period was actually when when we connected and when you jumped on board. Yeah, it was February of uh, 2022. <laughs> Ended up just being like almost exactly a year. <laughs> yeah. Just so wild too. <laughs> yeah. So no, I remember like that first meeting and you, actually, no, I remember the first time you sent me a message and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like, uh, okay, I'll talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember, cause you would, you would, um, you would post on discord that we were both members of and I think you were basically just, you know, trying to branch out and see if anybody was around to like, if, if anybody wanted a project manager for TTRPGs, right? Well, it wasn't even that. I had like posted on it and been like, hey, I'm thinking about branching into freelance mm-hmm. project management and I'd love to do that with TTRPGs. Has anybody like made a portfolio? Has anybody done this? I'd love to talk uh... to somebody about how you've done this. And then you shot me a message like, hey, I need a project manager. (laughs) Come work for me. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember that too. And actually, when I I was looking at some like to-do lists from from January of the start of 2022, and I saw, you know, I'm like, oh, contact Ketra. (laughs) And I'm just like, wow, it really, it really has come a long way if that's, if if that was the start of last year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, we talked. I'd say we hit it off and uh, just started figuring it out. I know I was very upfront with you at the beginning. I'm like, I know mm-hmm. how to manage projects. This is a new type of project, so yes, we'll figure it out together. And I, I think it's been good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so things we've done, like I mean, I know you brought Lindsay, that our editor, on. Like, mm-hmm. I think she was the second person. You're like, oh, I already know who I'm going to have do that. Yeah, she helped you develop the twine. Mm-hmm. Gosh, who did we bring on next? <laughs> I think it was Chris. Yep, yep, for layout. Which uh, listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, it was two weeks ago, episode sixty-four. You get to hear from Chris, and we talk about Burnaway layout. <laughs> it was Lindsay. It was Chris, and I can't remember if we then got Soul or Charlie on next. We started getting some artists because we knew that we were going to need art for social media. Yeah, because I, I had a couple of early artists, actually, because mm-hmm. I, I had just been looking around. I, I found a couple people on ArtStation. That's where one of our artists, Alex, is from. And so they've been doing a few pieces on and off when I needed them. And actually, what I would consider to be like the the poster for Burnaway, which is that image of like the the ember guys holding the rose in the graveyard, which is like a fantastic image, was done by a guy named Dimitri. Unfortunately, when I when I asked him, hey, can you can you do more stuff? He he was busy with other projects, so unfortunately, I wasn't able to get more stuff from him. But like, I'm still really grateful for what he was able to do because I think it's an image that kind of like excites people and is like, oh, what's this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I know it is pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we started getting some artists. Uh, and then I think at that point we were at like end of spring, beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. We're all like, okay, we want to launch like this fall. So we really need to get marketing started like ASAP. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's definitely where we brought on Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was around August, actually. 
we were still thinking of like, yeah, like October launch. <laughs> um, and like, I literally, you know, brought on soul cause I'm just like, I, I don't really do Twitter. I have a, I have an ornamental Twitter account, but like, I don't like being on Twitter. And this was before Twitter was even more on fire than it is now. So soul, who is the Twitter person brought him on so that he could deal with all that. end, and he's been doing a great job and like gotten us, up to a, a follower account that I would never have gotten to on my own because I just do not like spending that much time on Twitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was like maybe just a couple weeks after Soul came on board that we were like, you know, we should probably have a few more followers before we launch. <laughs> yeah. 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 I really liked the idea of like launching Kickstarter right around Halloween because mm-hmm. I thought it was very like thematically appropriate for Burnaway, but like, I, I remember us getting kind of close and be like, we're not ready. We need to, we need, we need a few more months. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's worked out like really well and it's been so, yeah. so cool to just to be like, okay, so for the Kickstarter page, like we want to have some images, maybe some like samples of what layout will look like. So I guess we need to have some like text ready to show off and then we need to get it designed and just kind of figuring out all of the puzzle pieces it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like you you don't quite know. It's like, you know, what has to be A, then B, then C, and then so on and so forth. And you know, we've we've honestly had like a bunch of our team has helped us untangle that. Mm-hmm. We've got team members who have done Kickstarters, who have worked on Kickstarters, you know, who have just been kind of in the like development space for a while who can actually be like, oh well, you know, usually this kind of happens and we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're we're taking notes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's been so many things that have been so helpful to learn from them. Like, I know one of the first meetings we had with Chris was like, well, how much art should we even like have in the book? Mm. And, you know, just getting his guidance on that, like helps with, all right, so we need enough artists that can make this many pieces. And this is how many pages we think the book's going to be. So we need X number of pictures and all right, let's just figure that part out. And it's just, it's been really cool just having or being able to like get experience or like learn from the rest of the team's experience. I honestly wish I had like kept a notebook or taken more meticulous notes about the whole process because it's just like when we kind of get to the end of this road, it's like I will have learned so much and I want to make sure that like I actually remember everything I learned (laughs) do an iterative process instead of just being like, wow, it's cool. I hope it works out next time kind of thing. (laughs) I feel like I've grown a lot from this experience. It was you who introduced me to both our other writers, D'Angelo and Mercedes, and they've got established names in the community for doing projects and stuff like that. So they've also been great helps in terms of helping us orient towards where we're trying to go. Yeah, I know. And D'Angelo like just had his own Kickstarter too. So it's like getting that fresh perspective. I'm like, oh, make sure you think about this. And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> It's funny, like, we haven't necessarily done, like, much work with them yet because the writing comes after the Kickstarter, but, like, I'm so excited to get to that stage. Like, I know that it's going to be awesome. It is interesting because we're, like, we've got the project Discord and we've got, you know, some, like, everybody on there and, like, we exchange messages and we we talk about stuff, but it's, like, the bulk of some people's jobs is, like, literally months in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It has been, like, interesting because we've got artists making stuff and... Chris is like coming up with a sample layout and Soul is working his butt off with like all the marketing. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it'll be cool to flip flop though and get past this Kickstarter. (laughs) 
when I first started this project, I sort of envisioned the Kickstarter as like the end goalposts because I didn't really think about, oh, there's a huge amount of stuff that comes after the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. This is just kind of one point in the entire project. And it, it is a big point. You know, it's definitely like the, you could even call it maybe like the central tent pole, you know, because it's like, it's the moment where you actually get the money to do the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to see how much support you have and all that stuff. It feels like the uphill climb to get to that point where you can, you know, the day of you push the button, you get the money, you hopefully get funded. And then it's just like, yay. Oh, okay. We still have to make the thing. We still have to <laughs> figure out the printing and figure out the shipping and figure out all the logistics. And it's like, oh, right. But it comes after. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, Definitely one of those, like, oh, we'll deal with that. It's like, okay, but we actually have to kind of know what we're doing. Yeah, so yeah, we, we, we actually deal with it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'd say, like, for me, one of the things that has been just like, huh, is finding a printer. Because, yeah. Like, just the world of printers right now, with, I mean, like, look at literally any other TTRPG Kickstarter. Whoever, fought, like, actually does it on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. You know, and so like try to account for that and build that into the post Kickstarter schedule. But then it's like so many suppliers or like actual printers are running behind or they don't have Mm -hmm. enough paper or they don't have the right type of paper. Or it's just like all of these delays that are just baked into it. It's also just interesting, too, because it's like, okay, you've got the cost of printing the book itself, which, of course, is different based on the quantity of books that you're purchasing. But then also, like, where is it being printed and does it have to ship? Like, where does it ship to? And that's just the shipping to get to you or to your fulfillment center. Then there's the shipping to get to the people that actually bought the book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's it's a whole different skill set that has really nothing to do with game design. (laughs) (laughs) It's like there are people who do this for a living who just like have never heard of a game like a TTRPG before. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, but it's like a pretty essential skill set to have in your toolbox if you are an indie TTRPG designer because it's just like something you got to think about and you know everything is even more complicated with the pandemic and stuff like that it's just it's just a lot to think about and you just never quite know where things stand at the moment and really at any point there can be a thing where it's like the printer is like actually we're not going to have this for a few months and you're like that'll be a great email to send out to the backers (laughs) (laughs) right Well, it's funny just even thinking back on, uh, I don't know if you did, but like I had pledged for the Avatar Mm. TTRPG. And I mean, obviously that is like its own thing that was going to just immediately be a success and then was so far beyond like their wildest dreams on how successful it was. And their whole thing was they were originally planning on shipping the book out like three months after the Kickstarter. And then one of their first updates was like, well, so many of you pledged that there's not enough paper like anywhere to print. <laughs> there's just not enough paper, period. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I was supposed to get it last February and I got it two weeks ago. <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. I yeah. mean, at, at least you got it. You know, that's that's yeah. <laughs> um, that is the sign of an actual successful Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So. Believe me, we are building in a lot of time before Burner Way will arrive at your doorstep. Yeah. I don't know if any any listeners remember the the Dice Rings uh, project. I never got mine. <laughs> we will not do that to you. You will get your book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we want you to read the book. That's the whole point. 
right? <laughs> like, it's a really cool game, I promise. <laughs> okay, well, actually, I should probably go back to some of the gameplay mechanics because I think one of my favorite things about it is the combustion tracker. So mm. please tell us about that. It's sort of a mechanic that is like a, I would say maybe like a narrative framing device for for the game where basically as soon as you start the mission, there is essentially a ticking clock, which is how long can the structure burn before it literally collapses on you? And that's what the combustion tracker is. Basically, it is tracking um, how intense the fire is and how quickly it's spreading, essentially. And things that affect the combustion tracker are on one side is the Embergeist. The Embergeist can use some powers or do some abilities that can increase the tracker um, if it's feeling especially um, angry or something like that. And on the other side, there's the players who can actively fight the fire and try to slow things down so they have more time to do what they need to do. So basically, it's kind of creating an extra dimension to the actions that the players are taking within the mission, because do you have time to go explore that area? You know, do you have time to try and, you know, go down here and and rescue this person? So there's always this extra thing to be calculating for, to be kind of allotting for. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of like games like Majora's Mask or Pikmin, where you do have this time limit where you have to do stuff before the bad thing happens. And I remember when I was playing them, it was it was very stressful, but you know, it's this is not a video game. And in fact, you know, it's not like the 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 storyteller is gonna have, you know, like a clock, you know, sitting there that's like ticking down necessarily because time passes as you take actions. So ideally it's not gonna create the same kind of stress as like a constantly running clock in a video game, but it should add some extra pressure, it should it should add this extra dimension to your decision making. And I definitely think that it does grant this sense of urgency as like they're running around. It's like, okay, well, these rooms are already on fire and like, oh, God, what was that explosion? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, obviously, you've had firsthand experience with it as well when you're running your game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And I think also there's some specific rooms might have their own little tracker, too. At least, I think in the current version, we have changed it a little bit. <laughs> when the the fire's intensity or the blaze level increases, these events happen where it's like, oh no, now the ceiling's collapsing, you know, oh no, now this room is extra on fire, or, you know, this gas tank exploded. So it creates these extra complications that the players might have to deal with, or just be like, that part of the building is written off, we're not going to go there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hey entrepreneurs, I love introducing you to new creators every episode, but I could really use your support. I would love to invite you to join our Patreon page where you'll gain access to behind the scenes content, add your questions to upcoming interviews, and you could even receive a shout out on our site in an upcoming episode. To learn more, go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. And now back to the show. Tell me about the Embergeists and the two different ways to get rid of them. Yeah. So basically with the Embergeists, because they are a kind of spirit, obviously one way is to exercise them. So the method of exorcism is is sort of left up to the the players and the game master to kind of like decide on the aesthetics. You know, I don't want to 
necessarily lock it into, you know, like, oh, it's a religious thing or, you know, it's a spiritual thing. You know, I, I want to I want to give players latitude to kind of decide how they want to approach that concept. But, you know, the, the end result is that the Embergeist is forcefully extracted from the physical world and therefore it's not there anymore and it's just a normal fire. But that basically just means kind of viewing the Embergeist as this kind of violent monster-like thing. So it kind of becomes this adversarial encounter where you don't really care about why it's here or, you know, what it's doing. It's just it needs to go away. The other path that you can take is placation, which basically means kind of like empathizing with the spirit and trying to figure out, you know, why is it here in the first place? What reasons did it have to manifest at this time and place? And that requires a little bit more work. It requires figuring out what former person, a person who is now deceased, whose residual feelings created this. And then you figure out, you know, what feelings is it acting upon? And then how can we satisfy those feelings in a way that it basically leaves on its own accord, or you can convince it to leave in its own accord. You know, it might be a matter of, you know, making a promise or kind of like doing something for it, or just basically interacting with it in a way that untangles its like emotional knots. And I think it's a more difficult, it's a more complex approach. But for some players, it might feel more worth, worthwhile because they acknowledge that it is kind of like an imprint of someone's humanity. And, you know, maybe they just have reasons for not wanting to just like go and attack this thing. I feel like for practical reasons, too, it's like if you immediately just jump to trying to exercise them and you can't, it makes it that much harder to placate them. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, you know, if you're if you're acting violently towards Ember guys, it will act violently back. So you also run the risk of escalating the, the situation in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but <laughs> I honestly like really enjoy this game. And it's been really cool just getting to see it evolve and like knowing that it's going to continue to evolve as we like really get into the uh, further development phases. But it's just it's fun like it's such a unique system and there's lots of things to like grant urgency and i just it's really cool yeah no i'm i'm really excited to see the kinds of missions and the kinds of games that other people are going to bring to the table because obviously i have my own preferences for the kind of games that i like to run but i really want to give players and gms kind of a tool set to really run with their own ideas and you know that's why i was really excited to have D'Angelo and Mercedes on board, because I think they're going to give a really interesting perspective on Embergeist and, you know, the missions that they want to write. And just like things that are like, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I never I never thought about setting something up like this or, you know, having this kind of storyline. I think there's just like a lot of potential. There's a lot of opportunities to tell really interesting stories with these building blocks. I feel like maybe this might be spoilers, but I'm pretty sure Mercedes was excited about the concept of like an adventure on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh man, that's that's an awesome idea. It's just like, you know, what happens when, you know, you've got an Embergeist that's kind of surrounded by water? What kind of, you know, themes, what kind of aesthetic is that going to bring up? Mm-hmm. And even like an underwater Embergeist, what does that even look like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a skeleton floating around. <laughs> Amazing. 
So you have been developing the system for a decade. You've been working on this game for over a year now. And mm-hmm. I would love to just take a moment for you to look back and just throughout this whole process, what would you say has been the most challenging part? I think maybe just making sure I have enough time in my life to make sure it keeps going. You know, obviously this is not my full-time job. Um, I don't think it's anybody's full-time job on the team. So it's the kind of thing that naturally will slip down your priority list in your life if, you know, you've got other stuff that needs to be attended to. But it needs to be a priority or else it's not going to happen. So it's that kind of balance that has been tricky at some points and kind of interesting to deal with in others. We've definitely not had a straightforward process in kind of getting this thing out. You know, everybody, we've, we've, we've had interesting things to be dealing with on our team. We've had, you know, obviously we've had the whole big Twitter meltdown. Now we've had the whole like community being rocked by the whole OGL thing. So it has been interesting times as far as TTRPG development goes. but. Yeah, it's definitely been like in times when I've been more busy in my life, I'm like, oh, yeah, I also need to do this thing. You know, we, we've got our, you know, our tasks you've been assigning. I'm like, yeah, I need, I need to I need to do this as well. And I need to also do this thing. And I'm it's been a very interesting thing to also for me to kind of think about, you know, going forward in future projects. It's like, you know, what is it going to look like? How much time is this going to take up in my life? How can I better allocate my time? How can I better allocate my focus to make sure that I'm getting the stuff done that I need to be getting done. And, you know, I'm not like just stretching this timeline out too far where I'll just kind of lose focus. So that's been a, an interesting factor. I would honestly agree with that because especially as we've just been learning how to do this together, there's, I feel been times that it's like, okay, I feel like I should be more productive and I should be like helping Jordy more. And I should be <laughs> like, all right, how do we streamline this? Like, wow, we still really need to find a marketing coordinator. And like, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely felt, felt like sometimes where, you know, we're meeting pretty regularly, like, like once a week and just like, mm-hmm. you know, just sometimes we're just like, okay, what, what were we doing? What's the next step? We kind of like got to get our brains back around this thing of like, actually, you know, making the calls or, you know, like doing the research and like sitting down and, doing it without even necessarily knowing how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for the next game, we're going to be like so much better prepared. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I honestly, I'm, I've literally been like, like, like thinking about that being like, it is going to be, it is going to take a fraction of the time and the effort. And like, it's gonna be great. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, like, honestly, like this is great too. I love learning things and doing things for the first time, but there are a few things that I'm also going to really look forward to not having to do ever again. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Before I started this process, I literally knew no one in the in the industry or the community, and now I do. It's like I know I know people who I can be like, "Hey, do you want to do this project?" Or like, "Hey, do you know people who want to do this project?" Yeah, I know. It's it's gonna be super fun. Like for, I mean, it's been fun. It's gonna be like easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the next one. <laughs> okay. Well, again, looking back over this whole process so far, you're getting to this point. What would you say instead has been the most rewarding part? Honestly, meeting meeting the people who have joined the team has been really cool. It's like I, before this, you know, I, I sort of have been a person who kind of works best by himself, whether it be 
in my other sort of career as like a a language coach and and a teacher, which is feels a bit counterintuitive, but like when I'm writing curriculum or when I'm doing things that's, you know, not just classroom teaching, it's like I tend to sort of have a method in my brain that I find hard to integrate with other people. So sometimes I'm just like, I just want to do this on my own. I, I, I just want to get things done my way. But that can't happen with this thing because I just don't have the skills. I don't have the time to do everything. I don't want to do everything. <laughs> and so the necessity of sharing the load and the, the, the necessity of like trusting other people to help me make this thing and be excited about it and, and kind of understand my vision for it has been a really interesting and rewarding process. Like I, I really have enjoyed feeling like we have this team now. We, we have people who all know each other, who, who like working together and yeah, no, that's been great. And also it's been great to have, the feedback coming from play testers and kind of like people who have seen parts of the game early and being like, this is really cool. I'm, I'm genuinely into this. Like as a creative, I'm sure you and, and some of our listeners can relate to the, the thing of like, you make this thing and you show it to people and then you kind of can gauge the reaction. And like, you can kind of tell if it's like people are being like, Oh, this is really cool. Kind of like, you know, where, maybe they're 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 kind of more concerned with making you happy of like oh yeah good job you did this thing and being like oh my god this is so cool like kind of a bit more of a they genuinely really think this is amazing and like i love i mean you know it's like i i never begrudge anybody for not being into the thing that you're making cuz you know tastes differ right but it is really rewarding when you when you see people who genuinely are like this is really cool i really want to actually play this it feels really good because it shows that it's just not all in your head. It's 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 a thing that other people want to play as well. Yeah, that's really special. Uh, okay, like this time it flew by, and I have to wrap <laughs> this up now. So <laughs> I just like looked at the timer, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> um, so Jordy, mm-hmm. obviously today being Air Day is the launch day of Burn Away. Whoa. I know, right? <laughs> hey, we did it. We launched we it. the thing. <laughs> yeah. So now that our listeners are like, oh my God, this sounds like the best game I've ever heard of. Where should they go to pledge to this game? We've got a Kickstarter page. It is going to be, I don't actually know the exact URL, but basically you're going to type in Burnaway or, you know, kickstarter.com slash Burnaway, I think also gets you there. We've got a very cool, pretty page. We've got a video now, thanks to Paul. We've got pretty visuals thanks to Chris and yeah no it's it's a lot of cool stuff on there and you know if you want to learn more about the game specifically we've got the website which is ornamental.com slash burn away we've got some more information on there I'm very nervous and I mean it's already running but I'm speaking from the past <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a very exciting month basically of of, of hopefully seeing the response from from people to our to our game that we've been working on for so long if they want to follow you and your other projects where should they go every social media i have is going to be ornamental so on instagram that's at ornamental on twitter that's ornamental there is a tumblr for those of you like me who tumble is going to be at ornamental as well all right and i'll be sure to have links to all of those things down in the show notes Charlie, this has been like a really fun conversation. I usually say that, but also just the fact that I know you <laughs> and like 
got to have an actual conversation. It's been a right? yeah. <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been great. I, I have enjoyed the time, the time talking, getting to, to talk to you and getting to talk to just like about the, the project in general. Cause honestly, you give me a space to just talk about my ideas and I'll basically never shut up. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, for our listeners, we are going to wrap up the interview at this point, but Jordy, our time is not quite done because if you remember, we're going to head into the uh, quick question blitz that I talked about. Yes. Yes. So thank you all for listening. If you want to know what the heck that is, patron supporters get to listen to a fun little segment that is short, but just a little bit silly. We ask 10 questions that may or may not have anything to do with gaming and get to learn a little bit more about Jordy behind the scenes. But for it now, thank you all so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. You just finished another episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes and transcript from today's episode, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave me a review and share this episode with your friends. Your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at lightheartadv for our business account or at KetraRPG for tweets on gaming, my dog Bowser, and other random shenanigans. You can also find me on Patreon at Roll, Play, Grow. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Roll, Play, Grow.